Good morning, good morning, good morning. Ann Proctor. Good morning, Ann. How are you? Fine, thank you. Wonderful to have you on the call. Thank you. Who else just joined us? It's Heather Strobel from Pueblo, Colorado. Heather Strobel, what's up, young lady? Oh, man, we we missed the snow. Spring's totally got it, but Pueblo's beautiful and clear. No way. Yeah, it's crazy. Good for you guys. I know. How is it out there? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it, it, today it's uh, bright and sunny, though. We have had an enormous amount of rain for us. That's what my Uncle Paul said from San Diego. Yeah. Same thing, yeah. Yeah, wow. for, like for us, we've had like so much rain. Tony Shovlo. Hey, Tony Shovlo. Hi, Christopher. How are you, sister? I'm great. How are you? Unbelievable. Never been better. Great. <laughs> H.I. Mandy. H.I., how are you? Doing great, sir. How are things out there? Unbelievable, never been better. Best day ever. Should be every day, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Julie and Joey from Little Rock, Arkansas. Julie, Julie and Joey. Good morning, good morning. Good morning, Christopher. Good Little to Rock, you. Arkansas. The Rock, building in the Rock. Yes, sir. All the way. Who else we got on the call? Jackie Jordan, Colorado Springs. Jackie, good morning. Colorado Springs in the house. Kim Harris, Colorado Springs. Jay Worthen, Colorado Springs. Evan and Lydia. Good morning, Christopher. Rick Ellis here. Michelle Jarosh here. Les Good morning, Stephen Carroll. Good morning, good morning. I got kicked off the call for a minute. I am back. Good morning, Stephen Carroll. Oh, great. Springs. Good to hear you this morning. Good morning. Good Colorado Springs, Penny Ray. Penny Ray, good morning. Good morning. Isabel, good morning. 
Good morning, Bill Say. Tom Scanlon. Good morning. Good morning, John. Kiki's on the line. Kiki, what's up, girl? Morning. <laughs> morning. Are you at work yet? No, it's actually my day off, so. Oh, right on. <clears throat> Good morning. Christopher, we're going to mute ourselves. We're on the freeway. It's noisy. Please, please do. Thank you. You're welcome. Who else is joining us? Hey, Christopher, Mark Onstott's on the call. Good morning, Mark Onstott from Colorado. Michael Paul on the line. Michael, Michael Paul, Andy Bob Paul. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Rach, Rach, what up, dog? What's up, Josh? Who else we got? Pasquale. Pasquale, good morning, bud. How are you? Good morning. Good. Thank you. Yourself? Outstanding. Great. Good morning. This is Lawrence on the call. Good morning, Lawrence on the call. Good morning. I'm here at the Tony Robbins event, and I have no voice, and I'm an official firewalker. Awesome. Congratulations, man. Isn't that off the chain? <laughs> Thanks. I'll I'll be lit, but that would probably be a bad pun. Good morning. This is Fortune Fields on the call. Good morning, Fortune. Miss you, brother. Miss you too, man. Hope to see you soon. Yes. You know where I'll be tomorrow. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know where to find me. I won't be hiding. All right. All right. Good morning, everybody. I want to get started on the call. Uh, thanks for being on the call this morning. I want to, this morning's call, really, I, the first question I have for you before we start the call this morning Robert Medeiros. Good morning, Robert Medeiros. First, the first thanks, question sir. I have for everyone this morning is, uh, let me, I'm not, it's a new call-in number. I'm not 100% sure how I mute. Mark, do you remember how I mute this bad dog? I do not. I'm not sure. Is it? I, I thought I don't know how to meet the the whole group. Star seven, maybe. Okay. Try. Yeah. It, well, it's a different conference call system that we went to. 
So I'm not sure. All right, I'm going to try and go without the mute, and if it gets crazy, then I'll go crazy trying to find the mute, or I'll just scream at people, which is my preferred way to get quiet on the on the calls. Um, so the first question I had for everybody on the call is I wanted to ask a follow-up question to last week's call, and this is not like you have to answer out loud or raise your hand. I want you quietly to answer yourself, and I hope that you're journaling. I hope that you're taking notes every conference call, every meeting that you're on, because they, they say that which flows through you tends to stick to you. And what they mean by that is when it flows through your ears and your mind and then channels down your torso, through your arm, all the way to the end of your hand and your fingers, and you write it down, that there's a magic in retention that takes place by writing things down. Now, we hear lots of great ideas in meetings and conference calls, and oftentimes we just fail to write them down. <clears throat> so last week's call was about immersion. It was about immersion. What did, you, what did you need to immerse yourself in? Was it getting new names and numbers? Like uh, what one of our leaders out there in a foreign remote remote state contacted me about, hey, I need to immerse myself in new names and numbers. How do I do it? I put them in touch with the right person. Do I need to immerse myself in calls? Do I need to go out and make more calls than I've ever – do I need to make 50 or 100 calls a day just for one week just to stretch that muscle and front load things? Do I need to front load the number of appointments I'm going on? And uh, set a goal of 10 or 15 or 20 or 25 appointments this week. Do I need to front load the hours that I'm working? Do I need to spend a week where I go, hey, in addition to my BPM on Tuesday or Wednesday night, every night I'm not going to come home until 10 o'clock at night. All the other four nights, and I'm going to, I'm just going to create activity every single night for one week. I'm not going to do it every week. My life would be out of balance. But this week, as a part timer. Or as a full-timer man, Monday through Friday, I'm going to be either at my BPM or, or in the office making calls or in the field. I'm going to be working this week, and I'm going to stretch my work muscle. Did you immerse yourself, or was that just a call? You sort of got a little bit excited and then went back to sort of your daily routine. That's my opening question for you, because <clears throat> there's a difference between training and experience. And what I would share with you is you probably need 10 experiences for every training. Too many, the people that fail in WFG, the people that struggle in WFG, they keep going to training after training after training after training. They, conference call after conference call, meeting after meeting, elite circle after elite circle, boot camp after boot camp, fast search school after fast search school, one-on-one training after one-on-one training, role-playing after they're focused, they're obsessed with training but they lack in experiences. They, they don't practice what they're preaching. They're not actually using the skills that they're developing out in the marketplace. And so the key is, is to grab an idea, to grab a nugget, to, to, to learn something, and then immediately put it into use 10 times for every one time that you spent learning it or role-playing it. And so that's, that's really the challenge for so many people in WFG. The people who really succeed in WFG – take action before they're perfectly ready. The, the unsuccessful people go ready, aim, ready, aim, ready, aim. They're always getting ready and they're always aiming, but they're never firing. I, I would suggest the more successful people are like, uh, uh, are more like 
aim, fire, aim, fire, aim, fire. They get a target or a goal and they go for it, whether they're ready or not. They're not, they want to be prepared, but they don't consume themselves with preparation to the point of procrastination. They, they know that they're going to learn the most by doing, not by, the most by being on a call or in a meeting or watching a PowerPoint. And so I want to challenge you, if you didn't immerse yourself this past week, immerse yourself this next week. You make a personal decision that you're going to immerse yourself in whatever activity you need immersing in the most. I want to challenge you, if you did immerse yourself this past week, to do it again this week, either in that same activity or in a new activity, so that you get the compounding effect of doing that. But if you're just listening to these calls and just showing up to meetings, hoping and waiting to be like as good as Mark or as good as Rachel or as good as Nikki or as good as Daniel or as good as Michael or Yvonne or Sabrina or Christine, like you're going to be waiting a long, long time because you're never going to get there through conference calls and meetings. You're only going to get there through you not being 100% ready and yet you're doing it anyway. We've got a bunch of people that are at the Tony Robbins event this morning. It's an unbelievable event. <clears throat> I can't tell you in my lifetime how many people I've known that have been self-improvement junkies who've read every book, been to every seminar, listened to every tape, listened to every podcast. They know every single like meme and cliche of positivity and personal improvement, and yet there's the, the fruits – in their life do not demonstrate their head knowledge. They've got all this head knowledge from all these trainings that they've been to or listened to or read, but they, they just haven't produced any results in their life as a result of it because they're, they are, they're in training mode, not doing mode. I've seen other people who have read very little, attended very little, but have a natural inclination to be results-oriented, take action, and want to try new things, and they're not afraid of, failing in the moment because they know that's part of the process of learning. Those always fascinate me. I hope that you're a combination of both. I hope that you're constantly seeking to get better through great books and audio tapes and seminars and podcasts. I hope that you have a great mentor and a great coach in your life that helps to give you direction and feedback, both positive feedback and constructive criticism as well as a coach that helps to provide accountability because without accountability, your chances of growing and getting better are diminished greatly. I hope that you have all those things, and I hope that you're taking massive action. Certainly a coach or a mentor helps us to take action in the areas that we want to. You know, I think I shared with many of you guys that one of my big three goals for the year was I wanted to get in the best physical shape that I've been in in 10 years. Like I, it's just a, it, I turned 54 a few weeks ago, and I just decided if I want to live as long as I want to live and have the quality of life and the quality of health long term, I need to build a much stronger foundation, and I need to make that one of my top three goals this year that I'm totally committed and sold out to, like, just building a great foundation or rebuilding a foundation that I once had. And so, I've been, and so after a month into it, I wasn't getting – I was improving. I was making progress but not getting the results that I wanted, so I hired a personal trainer. And I just got, like, he's absolutely killing me. And I love it because as much in the moment as it's not oftentimes fun, or even right now, like, my whole body is sore, like, every inch of my body. And some parts are sore than others. But he's got me doing things that I would not naturally do. I was talking to Jimmy Monroe for a while yesterday. And Jimmy used to be a personal trainer himself. And he's like, he's like I was just telling him, like, when I go in and work out with the personal trainer, he's going to have me do medicine ball slams and kettleball swings, and all kinds of different push-ups till I'm blue in the face. 
he's, he's going to have me do, running more sprints and doing more box jumps and doing more crunch, uh, doing more, um, um, what the heck do you call those? Lunges, right? <laughs> or burpees. Like, you would never do those things on your own. Sure, you can lift weights and do cardio, but you're never going to choose to do those things because those are the things that suck, quite frankly, <laughs> right? So you'll choose the exercises that you enjoy doing and you believe you get results from, and you'll choose the cardio plan of least resistance or the one that you enjoy the most or you're naturally suited for the most. And working out with a trainer or a coach or a mentor who's going to have massive accountability and give you direction and be committed to results more than the process um, is going to take a different approach. And so Jimmy and I were laughing yesterday because, like, He's like, if you ever see one of these guys that goes into the gym and doesn't have a trainer and they're doing, like, jump box jumps and they're doing, like, kettlebell swings and they're doing, like, medicine ball slams, he goes, uh, if they're doing that without a trainer just on their own, you know they've got a couple screws loose. They're like the Unabomber, like, stay away from them because nobody's wired that way, right? (laughs) I said, that's so true. That's the importance of you having a coach, you having a mentor that gives you direction, feedback, that really has direct conversations about you doing the things that you're not doing enough of, that you're avoiding doing, that you absolutely must do to be successful, and somebody that holds you accountable to those things. So it's not just like you hear a great idea but don't apply it. They're going to give you a great idea and say, hey, apply it, um, or else. And, of course, or else is they're not getting out like – you know, they're not going to beat you, but the or else is the accountability factor that gets us to do the things that we don't feel like doing. So I want to talk really this morning about the, comp- uh, the, the, uh, the components of great building principles. So what does it take to be a great recruiter? What does it take to be a great builder? You know, the first thing is the master copy has to be worth duplicating. So if, if, we, um, if we strapped one of those little body cams to you, like, like uh, the police use and different law enforcement agencies use, if we strapped a body cam to you and it followed you around this week, um, would, what would we see on that videotape? What would we see as it relates to your prospecting activities, to the number of calls you make, to your skill set when making the calls, to the number of appointments that you're working, to how hard you're working, to how easily you're distracted, to how focused you are, to... What would it say about, and, and would that be the master copy worth duplicating? If you just took that video and go, here, here's a, all of my teammates, watch monkey see, monkey do. Watch what I'm doing. You do the same, and you're going to have the same level of success. Would they get that from you? And if not, what can we do this week to make the movie better? What can we do this week to make the um, master copy a better copy to be duplicated. There's three super important components that the master copy must have if you want to build a great team. At the end of the day, that's what we all want. We all want a great team that's going to give us leverage. It's going to create massive residual income. You know, Jim Maloney posted a great quote from Stephen Siebold in a number of the group meetings that I saw this morning. And it just basically said, hey, like, the mentally tough part of it, like the person who really wants to succeed at a massive level, it's not about working hard. It's about creating leverage. Now, of course you have to work hard to create leverage, but the hardest working people in, in the state, in the country, oftentimes aren't the highest paid. I oftentimes think of uh, the men and women and sometimes in some cases children who, who work the land, 
who are who are working the the, the fruit, the strawberry fields, the the fields of agriculture, and how hard those people work in all kinds of climates. And yet certainly they're not the highest paid, but one could argue they're the hardest working. So it's not just about working hard. It's about working hard to create leverage. And so what are you doing to create leverage, really? Are you really working to create leverage, or are you the leverage? Is it getting yourself to do more? Is that the only leverage point in your business? So there's three important components to really becoming a great builder, and the first one is a recruiter's mentality. You've got to have a recruiter's mentality. You've got to be thinking about what is a recruiter's mentality. A recruiter's mentality is someone who's thinking about recruiting all the time. Somebody who's it's 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 not a situational thing. It's not like well in this situation I'm going to try and behave like a recruiter. In this situation I'm not. I used the example the other day. I was talking with some of my teammates and I was like like if you if you're raising young children and you let them jump up and down on the sofas like a bunch of monkeys because you're like, ah, we got old sofas anyway, and they're having fun doing it, and it keeps them out of my hair so I can do what I, whatever I'm doing so I can make dinner or do whatever I do it, right? So I'm just going to let them jump up and down on the sofa. Their old sofa is not a big deal at all. But then you go to the in-laws, and they start jumping up and down the sofas. You're like, no, you can't do that. When you're in timeout. What's wrong with you? They don't get it. It's like, can I jump on the sofas or can I not? They don't get that it's like a situational type of thing, and you're confusing them. The same is true of a recruiter's mentality. A recruiter's mentality is not like, oh, um, I'm going to recruit when I'm doing my WFG business. I'm going rec- to have a recruiter's mentality um, at – at lunch every day, or from 12 to 2, I'm going to, quote, unquote, go out prospecting. That's when I'm going to put on my recruiter's mentality hat. A recruiter's mentality is a 24-7 mentality. It's like the gambler who's always thinking about the next bet he or she's going to place. They're always thinking about it. A recruiter's mentality is you're always thinking about recruiting. You're one recruit away from explosion. Gee, was, I, wonder what, I wonder what this person's gifts are. I wonder what this person's talents are. I wonder, if they're, I wonder if they're really in a place where they have a chance at achieving their dreams. I wonder what kind of a difference we could make if they were a part of our team. I wonder who they know and who they could introduce us to that could help us with this great mission and crusade. A recruiter's mentality is someone who's always thinking about recruiting all the time. It's an all-the-time type of thing. The second key component of a great team builder, of a great leader, second key component of, of being a master copy that's truly worth uh, uh, duplicating is a builder's mindset, a builder's mindset. It's not enough to just recruit people. We need to build people. What does that mean? I think there's a couple of different really um, branches off of that tree. I think one is is we're a builder of people. What does it mean to build people? It means – you see their gifts, you see their talents, and you're trying to pull their gifts and talents out of them. You're constantly speaking to them about their gifts and their talents and why their God-given gifts and talents are going to cause them to be successful in our business, why they're going to cause them to make a great impact on other people's lives, why they're going to cause them to realize their dreams. It's because they're God-given gifts and abilities and talents, and we see those, and we're constantly speaking about them. We're constantly nurturing them. We're constantly pointing them out. We're building people from the inside out. Life is an inside-out experience. It starts on the inside. It starts in our, in our thoughts. It starts in our mind. 
It starts in our soul. It's an inside-out process. What we, what we create on the inside, we wind up manifesting on the outside. So a builder's mindset, part of it is, it's like I always believe that the greatest metaphor ever for leadership is parenting. Because parenting is about being a builder. It's about building their self-esteem. It's about building their self-confidence. It's about building their self-worth. It's about building the inner parts of them, that inner strength, that, that inner sense of character and who they are. It's about building their identity from the inside out. Not what the culture tells them, not what their friends tell them, not what their teachers tell them, but what you speak into them. It's about building their identity. And so a builder's mindset is you're constantly building people up. Just And here's, here's one of the important parts of that metaphor about parenting. Um, you never give up on your kids. Like, Michelle and I have told our kids, if we've told them once, we've told them a thousand times, hey, there's no act, action that you could ever take that would cause mom and dad not to love you. I literally just had this conversation with my daughter a week ago again. I was like, hey, you could literally be like the, like the biggest serial killer of all time, and your mother and your father wouldn't, wouldn't stop loving you. We wouldn't love you any less. Would we be disappointed? Highly, yes. We'd be terribly disappointed if you were the world's most renowned serial killer. But that wouldn't cause us to stop loving you. There's nothing that you could do that would cause us to stop loving you. And so it's that, that eternal and unlimited um, belief in somebody and confidence in somebody and persistence in pulling out their gifts and talents. And the great builders have that. The smaller builders, right, they, they have that for a period of time when somebody's new and gets them excited. But after a while, when somebody doesn't get the results, doesn't have the activity, doesn't have the behavior, they don't show up like a rabbit, they don't show up like they're going to be a big-time something or other, uh, they start losing, oh, uh, you know what, that's just who they are. Uh, they're a professional meeting attender, PMA. Uh, they're just an 80-percenter. Oh, we need dead power. They're a dud. The great builders and leaders never look at it that way. Some eggs just take longer to hatch. Some just take a longer time to get to the starting line. But once they get to the starting line, they take off. And there's so many terrific examples of that in our company and so many terrific examples of that in life. So that's part of a builder's mindset. The other part of a builder's mindset, quite frankly, is actually building their team physically. It's you being a leader and you making the calls and you making the calls with them and you making the calls for them, you not having them make the calls. You make the calls with them and you make the calls for them. What kind of calls do we make with and for them? Calls to build them a team. Calls to set up one-on-ones, to set up appointments, calls to invite guests down for them with the purpose of building them a team. And your job is to get into their market, make a great first impression, to meet people and recruit the right ones, recruit the ones that are looking for us. And you begin to build a team and stack people underneath them for them. That's the other branch of, being a, of having a builder's mindset and building people. It takes both. The third component of being a master copy worth duplicating, the third component of being a great team builder, is you've got to be a master at, at, at being a director of motivation. So, oftentimes, Leaders think that they have to be the motivator. They have to be the dream seller. They have to be the visionary. And all of those components will, you will develop over time. But even the greatest of leaders, the greatest of visionaries, 
the greaters, the the, the greatest um, motivators. The, 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 a, a really important skill set is being a great director of motivation. And so a great director of motivation is making sure that you're getting everybody to the next fast start school. And I know Torrance has one plan. I know Chino's got one plan. I know Colorado's got one plan. It's really doing a great job of mobilizing your teammates, old and new, part-time and full-time, spare time and no time, uh, supportive spouses and unsupportive spouses, like mobilizing all those people there to that environment, to that event, because, you know, there'll be other people there that can motivate them and inspire them. And so you're a great director of motivation. What that means is you're directing people to the place where they can get motivation, and that place doesn't always have to be you. In many cases, it doesn't ever have to be you if you become great at directing them to places where they will be motivated. So that's key. It's directing them to the spring sizzler. It's directing them to the company convention and doing everything you can to help them get to those places. It's about directing them to the next Tuesday, Wednesday night BPM, about directing them to the next Saturday morning BPM, about directing them to the next little mini boot camp that we're having or Super Saturday that we're having or, or Fast Start School that we're having. It's, it's about directing them to the next conference call that we're having. It's about getting your people in an environment where they can become inspired, get their vision stretched, and be challenged. And so those are the three components of really being a master copy worth duplicating. Do you have a recruiter's mentality, or what do you need to do to work on that? Do you need to create some new affirmations? You need to shift the boundaries of where, when and where you're in, in a recruiting sort of mindset. What about a builder's mindset? Is that something that we need to work on? Are we doing a great job of building all of our people or just the new ones or just the hot ones, just the rabbits? Are we doing a great job of us personally getting into their markets and building them? And are we doing a great job of directing people to the places where they're going to be motivated, inspired, and challenged? Remember two things. I want you to write these in your notes. Remember two things. <clears throat> Some of you need to remember number one more than others. You will be paid to imitate, not create. You'll be paid to imitate, not create. If you're the guy or the gal who's constantly creating, ah, I'm creating my own tracking sheet instead of the using the baseline. I'm creating my own like for, uh, presentation. I'm creating my own one-on-one. -on -one. I'm creating my own scripts. I'm creating my own. I don't need to use BSC Pro or the Eight Speed Filter. So I'm, uh, I'm creating my own tracking system. If you're the one who's constantly looking to create things to make things better, you're not a master copy worth duplicating. We're paid here to imitate, not create. You're in the wrong company. You're in the wrong spot. There's like there's been so many attempts to make things better along the way. You're literally just you're you're putting time and energy into something that's a lost cause. You're going to get diminishing returns on. So your so your 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 form of tracking calls is it five percent better than the baseline tracking tracker? Is it ten percent? Is it is it going to be fifty percent? How do you know it's even going to be a better way of tracking? <clears throat> How do you know that? Or do you know that? Or are you just hypothesizing that it could be? You've got no data to support that. Quit spending time creating and spend time imitating. Become a better and better imitator. Number two, second thing that's important to remember is what is marketing? Marketing is the creation of both the outlet and the movement of the product simultaneously. It's, I want you to write that in your notes and think about that. It's the creation of the outlet and the movement of the product simultaneously. I get a new associate. I have a new direct. We have a new team recruit, and they become a client. 
It's the creation of the outlet. Why, is it, why are they an outlet? Because they're going to help us to invite more guests. They're going to help us to set more appointments. They're going to become a licensed agent. They're going to be an outlet that can actually produce, right, that can move the product. And so you want to be focused on both of those all the time. Um, as you're building your team, you've got to have some sort of monitoring system in place. <clears throat> and I'm constantly talking about this. You've got to manage activity but focus on results. What do I mean by that? Well, for a whole bunch of people in my base shop, I'm focused on activity. Let's build the, the routine, the habit of making calls daily. Let's build the habit of tracking our calls. Let's build the habit of accountability where we're reporting our calls and our activity daily. Let's, uh, let's focus every meeting on after the meeting about how many confirmed guests you're going to have at the next meeting. Let's every Saturday meeting after the meeting, let's get a calendar for your week and when are you scheduling your work. And let's take a look at who are your top 10 people that you think you have the best shot at recruiting this week and who are the top 10 people that you think you have the best shot at helping to become a client this week. So we're constantly focused on the activity, the appointments, the guests, the calls, the units of activity created. You've got, you've got to manage that. But then there has to be a results orientation. You as the leader have to begin to look at the ratios. How many calls are they making? How many people are they talking to? Of the people they're talking to, how many of them are they closing? I was just like, I, Eugene Newborn and I were just going back and forth. He was sending me some more accountability last night after his team phone zone. I was comparing it to his team phone zone from the week before. Like, man, the ratios are outstanding. I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take these same ratios now and begin to look at what if your team last night would have made 25 more calls? How many more appointments would that have resulted you at your current ratios? How many more guests would that have resulted you at your current ratios? What if the team made 50 more calls? Then how would that have changed the results based on your ratios? What if the team made 100 more calls last night? How would that have changed your results, your appointments and guests, based on your ratios? I said I want you to – like do a quick calculation of those numbers and then begin to sell the vision to yourself and your teammates of what that looks like for you. So you've got to constantly be paying attention. If you have somebody in a slump, in my opinion, the last thing you talk to them about results, the first thing you talk to them about is activity. You got to get them focused on activity. What is it? Because the, the results are a byproduct of the activity. But if you've got somebody who's really strong at the activity, you can day in, day out, they're doing the activity, doing the right activity, um, they're accountable for that activity. They're tracking that activity. Now we can begin to focus in on results. Well, what are the ratios? What can we do to improve the ratios? Where's the stumbling block? What are the objections we're struggling with? What, what, uh, why, why do we have a lot of confirmed guests that aren't showing? Or why do we have a lot of appointments that are scheduled that are canceling? We can begin to dig into the results and tweak those. So it's critical, though, that, you, that you're doing both. As a leader, you're paying attention to both. Like Mark and I never have conversations about his activity. All we talk about is his results. Why? Because his activity, I don't have to question. He's, he's had the habits of the right activities for so long. Now, if he ever went into a prolonged slump, then I would get back to talking to him about that. It's unlikely because it's become so much of a habit. Same with Nikki. Same with Rachel. Same with Q. Right? It, it's, it, it's, you talk about activity when people are in a slumber. You talk about activity more and focus more on activity as you're building people up. Once they've got really a ground for that, then you begin to focus far more on results. Um, 
couple of other things. <clears throat> do you have standards of excellence within your base shop? In other words, do people know what you're expecting of them? Do they know what poor performance is as a part-timer in your base shop? Do they know what average performance is in your base shop? Do they know what good performance is? Do they know what excellent performance is? And do they know what great performance is? Do you have standards in your base shop, expectations when it comes to both activity levels and when it comes to results? If you don't set expectations, people don't know what to aim for. And it's unlikely that they're going to be aiming for anything at all other than maybe coming to the meetings. Next thing is having a speed calendar. Ed has talked about this on a podcast. He's also talked about it on a mini little Instagram video. The importance of breaking down your day into mini days, 8 a.m. to noon, noon to 5, 5 to 10. You've got three mini days. And he, talk, like he did such a great job of articulating this. I want, you to challenge, I want to challenge you to find it on his Instagram account and to rewatch it. It's a very short video, but he just talks about, like, have you ever had one of those days where in a four or five-hour period of time you just crushed it? Like in four or five hours, you were so focused and so on it that you got more done than you oftentimes get done in an entire week. The concept of many days is not just dividing up your days. The concept of many days is, hey, I've got a four or five-hour window from 7 or 8 a.m. to noon. Like, what could I absolutely accomplish during those four or five hours to absolutely crush it? Where I'd get more done in specific areas than I feel like I usually get done all week. Hey, what can I do from noon to five to feel like I absolutely crushed it? Like I got so many results, it's like a day or a week's worth of results just from noon to five. Hey, from five to ten tonight, what can I do to absolutely crush it and feel like, man, I got more done in those five hours than I do most weeks or most guys in my office do in a week. And so Part of being a master copy worth duplicating is creating mini days that are results-oriented, that you've got big outcomes for each mini day, and you're pushing yourself to hit it. Then all of a sudden, you're, like, you're getting three and four and five times more work and more results done than anybody else in the office because there's this huge compounding effect. And then you need to learn as a leader, not only with yourself to create mini days, but you've got to learn to collapse time frames for your people. What do I mean by that? Um, I think most people don't remember what their goals are for the year already, and, and, and we're only a couple of months into the year. They already have forgotten what their goals are for the year. But for most people staying focused uh, for as long as Marcus stayed, stayed focused or as long as Nikki has is unbelievably difficult. It's hard to stay focused for a year. It's even hard to stay focused for a few months. Where you're going to really get the most out of your team is short blitzes where you compress time frames and create a sense of urgency. It's like this Saturday, tomorrow, you're launching like um, an application blitz. And you go, hey, here's 25 Transamerica apps, and you have them on your conference room table before uh, in your meeting after the meeting goes, okay, I want every one of these apps filled out by Wednesday. I don't care for how much they are. I don't care if it's 50000 of insurance, 100000 200000 500000 a million. But we're going to fill out 25 apps as a base shot between now and Wednesday. It's a short three- to four-day blitz. It's a last-man-standing contest that's short and keeps people focused day-to-day on small results, right? It's an it's a AMA. It's like, hey, here's 25 AMAs. We're going to get this filled out this week between now and Saturday. I know we didn't even do 10 last month. We're going to do 25 this week. It's putting together short blitzes. It's a prospecting blitz. It's a... Uh, it's a names and numbers blitz. 
It's a last man standing. It's an appointment blitz. It's a um, guest blitz. It's putting together short one-day, two-day, three-day, four-day, five-day blitzes with your part-timers that create a sense of urgency and excitement. You make a game out of it. You make it fun. But it's also a short enough window of time where they can do a short sprint and then sort of relax, right? You've got to learn how to do that, do that over and over and be creative, borrow ideas from other leaders, but learn to be creative and learn to have more blitzes and more sprints for your part-timers. That way, hey, if there's a four-day blitz and they don't, and a couple of your guys don't do anything, they totally miss the boat, then, you know, a week later you've got another three-day blitz or an all-weekend blitz or whatever the case might be. Hey, this, hey next weekend, a week from tomorrow, we're going to have a weekend blitz, and we're going to see how many one-on-ones and appointments we can do between Saturday morning at 8 a.m. and Sunday night at midnight. As a base shop, we're just going to see how many of them we can stack and match up and create and go see whether they're drop-bys, whether, the, whether they're drive-bys or drop-bys or one-on-ones or KTPs or annual reviews or popping by an old teammate that quit six months ago or hasn't been to a meeting. We're going to see how many people we can go physically see from Saturday morning at 8 a.m. to Sunday night at midnight. Those are great blitzes for you to create massive activity, and, it's, and they're fun for the team. And they don't wear the team out because it's a short blitz. Um, the next one is constant personal communication. Constant personal communication. Um, we had a little thing with our family last night between me and my wife and my daughter and one of the tutors the kids use, and there was some confusion about time and who's showing up and when are they showing up and who's going to use them when. And, and we were sort of going back and forth, and I said, hey, let's just all get together in one room and discuss it real quick. When we sat down, I said, here's the bottom line. Um, I'm an over-communicator. I'm always over-communicating, setting expectations, getting commitments, getting clarification. I'm not an under-communicator, and nobody in the family is going to accuse me of being an under-communicator because I wear them out with my over-communication. So over-communicating and setting expectations is the key to be a master copy worth duplicating. You've got to get great at over-communicating and being crystal clear with your teammates, with your sideline colleagues, with your leadership, with your family members, with your prospects, become an over-communicator. And work hard to become a, a, a master communicator. And what I mean by that is that you can communicate at like a third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade level where a fourth grader could understand what you're saying and exactly what you mean, but you're not saying it in a condescending way. You're just saying it in a very clear and simple way that's easy to understand. There's not a lot of nuance, and there's no, there's no room for people assuming or needing to figure out what you mean by that. Um, and so that's critical. You've got to become great at communicating, and you've got to get great at communicating team goals, base shop goals, and individual goals with people. Hey, here's our goal for the base shop tomorrow. We want to have 25 confirmed guests. Louie, how many of those are, is your team going to have? Jeanette, how many of those is your team going to have? Isabel, how many of those is your team going to have? Great. Now get individual commitments within your teams to make sure that we hit the team goal tomorrow. You've got to become a great communicator. Um, another thing, as a reminder, you're either growing or dying. So 
uh, if you're an SMD right now and I looked at your numbers in February, if I looked at your numbers in January, are you growing or dying this quarter compared to last quarter? Are you growing or dying looking at your numbers? Are you growing or dying? Because some of us look at it like we're still growing, but the results say that we're dying. Because we're sort of telling a story to ourselves that it's not that bad. Some of us, uh, we're not on SMD yet. We're not at a point yet where activities are so habitual. And so it's our, our activities, if we're a part-timer or we're a full-timer that's building our business, are our activities growing or dying? Are our activities growing or dying? There's, here's, the next, here's the next bullet point I want to go through to help you become a master copywork duplicator, to become a great leader within our company, to build a great team, is that there's two different types of training that you need to have with your team. One is you need to have drill for skill. You need to get your people better at the words, your people better at the processes, your people better at the skills. You've got to drill for skill. You've got to role play it over and over. You've got to show them, have them do it, give them feedback. Show them how you want it done, have them do it, give them feedback. Drill for skill over and over and over again. But the second thing you've got to do is drill for will. Where a lot of our people are lacking is they don't have very strong willpower when it comes to following through and getting things done. So you've got to make sure that enough of your training is, is oriented around drilling for will and push. What was the whole immersion exercise about last week? It was about drill for will. It was about drill for will. It was about you willing yourself to do more in some area than you typically do, to, you doing significantly more in an area than you typically do. It was about drill for will. What are you doing with your base shop? What are you doing with your key leaders? What are you doing with your part-timers? to help them not only drill for skill, and you should be doing that, but to help them drill for will. Some of you don't spend enough time drilling for skill with your people. Others don't spend enough time drilling for will. Others of you don't do either. You just try and always motivate and challenge people. All right, I want I want to I want to go through a couple of more reminders. Next one is this: stop recruiting people to a business. Recruit them to the environment. Let the atmosphere of the office, the BPM, the Mo Zone, the big event. Let that recruit them. Recruit them to an environment. Right? Um, I was doing a uh, I was observing an ASAP appointment uh, with one of our trainers earlier in the week, and they had a trainee with them, and everything was going good, and the, and the, the trainer did a terrific job, and the trainee did a terrific job, and then at the very end, when we're going through the business review card and closing, the trainee, innocently, they're, they're, you know, they're newer at this part of at this step, at this part of the process, but innocently, in excitement, was like, hey, and if you know anybody, you know, let me know, anybody that can, because I want to build a team, and anybody that you can refer to me to help me build my team, anybody that you can refer to me to be a part of my business would be, that would be a big help to me. I'm looking for good people to be a part of my business. And so 
I love the fact that they were intentional about what they wanted and they were putting it out there and they were asking for what they wanted. The, where they needed to sort of work on the delivery of that was they were trying to recruit somebody to their team, to their business, as opposed to focusing on it about, hey, if you refer people to our environment, to this environment of leadership and personal development and training, right, the difference that we can make for the individuals that are open or looking. And so it's just a shift there. <clears throat> you want to recruit people to your environment, to, to, to what we have available to people, not just to your business, because they've got to see it bigger than just your business. And they've got to see what's in it for them, not what's in it for you. All right, a couple of other things. Um, this, I want to go through this. This is huge. And I want you to, if you haven't taken notes yet, I want you to pull over and take notes now. What are the four big obstacles to spontaneous recruiting? There's four big obstacles. There's four challenges that leaders run into significantly, consistently that kill their recruiting efforts or massively slow them down. One is leaders don't sell the big-time opportunity of having large, multiple pe- large multiples of people to override. They stop selling the opportunity of having lots and lots and lots of people to override. And so as leaders, we've got to constantly be showing that, talking about that, and demonstrating that. People, aren't, people didn't come here to make sales or to sell insurance or to be advisors. People came here because they wanted to override lots and lots and lots of people. Uh, number two, their first, the, the second obstacle really to, become, to, to, to building a big base shop and doing lots of recruiting and building a big team, the second obstacle is their first emphasis with a new recruit is to field train them and get five sales as opposed to getting them three new recruits. Their, when, when you first recruit somebody, are you thinking about getting out into their market and making sales and then maybe doing back-end recruiting? Are you focused on getting them two, three, four people on their team right away? You know what you're supposed to answer, but you also know the way you think and what you're actually doing when you get a new person on your team. I remember when Mark came back from Tiger School, his biggest takeaway was when he met with Juan Jaime and he learned – he talked to Juan Jaime about the fast start. Mark and his team were doing a great job of building lists and making calls and creating activity for people. But what he realized was his focus, the way they were scripting things, and the focus behind the scripts was to create field training appointments for field training sales. And he realized that Juan Jaime's focus was on getting guests and setting up one-on-ones and getting recruits for the new person. So Mark came back and immediately made some shifts to his scripting because he realized that was a significant – and Mark already had good recruiting numbers. That's how he qualified for Tiger School, but he realized even with his recruiting numbers that they were nowhere near as big as they could be simply because their intention was to field train people as opposed to get them new recruits. Number three, the third obstacle is um, that newly licensed agents, newly licensed agents on your team can make quick money by writing up apps without recruiting. So the more that you've got new licensed agents who are getting out in the field and making field training sales and getting paid without it being connected to recruiting, they begin to believe that the key to them making money is just setting up more appointments and making more sales. And it's a real real short-term limited vision on their part, but you're the one who's causing that. 
you've got to, as you get new people licensed, there's got to be an even greater focus on recruiting and opening up new markets for them so they begin to connect recruiting to where the big-time income is for them. <clears throat> and then the fourth obstacle to spontaneous recruiting is an overemphasis with newer recruits on them getting licensed. It's an overemphasis on them getting licensed. I want to, like, think of Dan Charlier as the perfect example. Dan Charlier didn't get licensed for nine months after he started, and he was out in the field on field training appointments every week. He didn't make any money those first nine months because he wasn't licensed. But he ran a ton of appointments and recruited a bunch of people and got really good in the field. When he finally got licensed nine months later, his first month with a license, he made twenty grand. Why? Because he had a big team, lots of appointments, <coughs> and he was already trained as to what to do with them. So other people would laugh at him and talk about how much money he was missing out on by not being licensed those first nine months. There were certainly other people that started at the time Dan did, and they made more money month one, month two, month three, month six, month seven, month eight. But none of those people that started with him made more money than him in the ninth month, and he out-earned them from that point forward. So, yeah, he gave up small dollars the first few months, because he was focused on what? Creating activity, building habits, building skills, and most importantly, he was focused on building a team. And because he focused on building a team and the activity and the skills, the money followed. As you just think about your constant conversations with your new people, are they more focused on their licensing process, where they're at, what they're doing, or are they more, fo more focused on them building the team? Uh, the next key to building a big team and being a master copy worth duplicating is uh, is focusing on recruiting and letting the sales follow. You need to aim at recruits and miss with sales. You need to aim for recruits and miss with sales. You need to sell to the people that you recruit and sell to those that don't recruit. But every prospect is a potential recruit until they tell you differently. Don't presuppose, don't, don't presuppose and go, oh, well, they wouldn't be a very good recruit because they already make too much money. They own their own business. They this, they that. Whatever it is, they don't have the right personality. I, I just don't think they could see themselves doing this. Don't you decide for them. Approach every prospect as if they're a potential recruit until they prove you differently or tell you differently, and then... If they're not going to be a recruit, then we can defer to the client situation, not the other way around. We don't start with a client and then hope that they'll back in into the recruit. We always want to be aiming for that, that make-me-feel-special button that's on their forehead. And we do that through our opportunity, through this great crusade that we have. How to develop a recruiting mentality? Step one is you've got to approach every prospect about the opportunity first. Approach every prospect about the opportunity first. Number two, hold off on an F&A, hold off on a data collect, hold off on a sale until you re read their recruiting decision. So you're sure that they're not interested or the timing isn't right. Number three, sell the dream of our business and our opportunity and the crusade of what we do to help clients simultaneously. Simultaneously. It's the dream of the opportunity along with the crusade of what we do for clients simultaneously. You've got to do it with great enthusiasm. You've got to do it with great enthusiasm and be excited about the opportunity that you're sharing and our crusade. 
Hubert used to say, he used to use this analogy of, of being like a quarterback. Every single play is designed to be a touchdown. You're going to throw a bomb. You're going to throw a long pass, and it's going to be a touchdown. Every single play is designed to recruit the prospect. That's the design of the play. But every once in a while, the quarterback comes to the line of scrimmage. They see the way the defense is set up, and they know that they're not going to be able to throw that long pass. So then what do they do? At the line of scrimmage, they call an audible, and instead of throwing a long pass, they hand it off to the running back or the fullback for a short run, for a three- or four-yard gain. Every play is designed to be a home run, to be a touchdown. And that's the way we're going into it. And it's only when the defense shows us that that's not possible that we hand off the ball for a short run. And what is a short run? It's making a sale. It's a financial needs analysis. It's making them a client. But we're always aiming for the recruits first until what? Until we get the clear indication that it's a no. We don't decide, hey, this time I'm just going to run the ball. This time I'm just going to go for an F and A. I'm not even going to try for the touchdown. That's not the way you become a great builder in this company. People, just as a reminder, people have always been intrigued by multiples and geometric progression. Show people our, our compensation plan. Show them the way it works. Show them the generational income, the passive income, the residual income. A picture is worth a thousand words. Showing it to them is much better than just telling them. Showing them how that works and what it looks like tells the dream and it gives them a visual image that they can hang on to. The two most important focal points, and this was something that Ed was fanatical about, are this, and I'm going to end on this. One is you've got to get more and more personal direct legs. You've got to be getting one to three new directs every single month. You should be getting a minimum of 25 directs a year, 25 a year, if you expect to grow your business. You're not going to grow your business year in, year out, with fewer than 25 directs a year. You're just not. So you need one to three every single month, a minimum of 25 a year, a minimum of six a quarter. That's number one. The second key is you've got to get more and more people old and new to your BPMs. You've got to be obsessed with and hyper-focused on meeting attendance, meeting attendance, getting old and new, part-timers and full-timers, spare-timers, spouses, like, as you're building it, I don't care who's showing up to me. Get anybody and everybody. Anybody and every, every spouse, every part-timer, every spare-timer. You've got to be ringing out the sponge every single meeting and increasing that attendance. And then focus on adding more and more direct light to that process. So those are a bunch of keys and a bunch of points that I was reviewing as part of my personal plan for my year and what I'm doing. I wanted to share those with you as it relates to you getting out there and really taking your game to the next level, really building your business, really building a company. And what does it take to build a company? And I know many of these concepts, many of the leaders on the call have heard before, but are you practicing it? Is it just another training, or is this these some of the things that I need to put into practice so I get more experiences, so that I really develop an all-the-time recruiting mentality, so that I'm really looking at every prospect as a recruit first, so that as I, with every new recruit in the base shop, we're focused on building them and building them a team first, not getting them field training appointments and sales first. I want, it, I want you to immerse yourself, leaders, into really developing a recruiter's mentality and a builder's mindset this week. 
Read and listen to everything you can. Create some new affirmations this week. But get focused on what that looks like and what that feels like. The sooner that you build it on the inside, you build a vision in your head, you, create, you, get, you get it in, inside of you, like what it's going to take for you to become a great recruiter and a great builder, we build it from the inside out. I appreciate you guys. Let's pack out the meetings tomorrow. Let's make sure we're mobilizing everybody to these fast search schools. And let's make sure as soon as the, as soon as the drop hits for the spring sizzler and the convention that we're getting registered because both of those events will sell out. I promise you that in advance. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a great Friday.